Hello, I'm Daniel. This is my podcast, Sharpening the Mind. I am a meditation teacher and also a labor activist in Kansas City, Missouri. I teach classes in meditation and Buddhism at the Rime Buddhist Center, as well as a few other places. Thank you for listening and have a great day. Hello, today the topic of my talk is bodhicitta, which I am calling the awakened heart. The awakened heart. And I'm going to read to you uh, really quickly from The Power of Mind by Kentral Lodrote to see what he has to say about bodhicitta. He says, and I quote, This motivation, which is focused on the welfare of others and the pursuit of ultimate freedom, is what we call bodhicitta. We all have the potential to attain ultimate happiness, the state of total realization, enlightenment. Why? Because enlightenment is already the nature of our mind. We call it the ground Buddha nature. To awaken to it, we need the support of this precious human body, the condition of a qualified spiritual teacher, and the skillful methods of a teacher's advice and guidance on the path. Because we innately possess the ground for awakening, once we have support, the conditions and the methods, the results in temporary and ultimate happiness are ensured. So, that's how he defines bodhicitta. And I'm going to tell you a story uh, really quickly. And um, it may not at first be clear why it's a story about bodhicitta, but it is. Okay? So, this is called the story of the Golden Buddha Temple. And it took this story took place hundreds of years ago in uh, Thailand. So there was this temple in Thailand, and they called it the Golden Buddha Temple, and it's it's there actually. You can go there, but it um, the country was being invaded. And this temple, they had this giant, golden, beautiful Buddha statue. And people came from all over just to see the statue. And you know what happens? People come and see the statue. They make donations to the temple or they study with the monks that live there or whatever, right? So uh, this temple was really benefited by having this big, beautiful, golden Buddha statue. Okay? So, like I said, though, the country started to get invaded. And when it was getting invaded, some of the monks were really worried. They thought, like, they're going to come take our Buddha statue. They're going to come take it. And I don't know if they're going to put it in and put it somewhere else or melt it down for the gold or whatever, but they're going to take it. And that's going to really harm our temple, especially if they destroy it. Then that's a like a sin almost, right? So they're starting to think, like, what can we do to protect it? It's way too big to move. This statue's really big, okay? So this one monk comes up with this idea. He says, we're going we're gonna to disguise it. We're going to disguise it. So they go and they get mud and dirt and colored glass. And these monks work really hard and they completely cover this statue. And so they make it look like a stone statue with colored glass on it. They make it look like less radiant and beautiful, okay? And so it goes from being this 
beautiful, renowned Buddha statue to being like, I don't want to say trashy, but, you know, less, less impressive. So the invaders come and they barely even look at the statue. They're looking in the, in the temple. They don't see anything they want to take and they just leave. They barely even notice the statue because it's been covered up. So the monks are pretty happy. Their statue's not taken and it's safe. And the thing is though, they're worried that like later people are going to come take it because suddenly their, their country is not, they don't feel as safe as they did before. So they leave it. Even though the invaders have come to the temple and left, they leave it covered just in case. And what happens is it stays that way. And 200 years go by. And the monks in the temple, I mean, everyone that was there when the statue was in its former state are gone, right? Long gone, even. So they kind of, it's been forgotten. It's been forgotten that this was called the Golden Buddha Temple. It's been forgotten the, what that statue looks like underneath. And 200 years go by. And uh, it's the 20th century. Okay, it's 19, in the 1950s. Uh, some monks are moving this statue to clean it. And a piece of rock falls off revealing the gold underneath. And so these monks that see this, they go and they get their, um, their head monk and they're like, hey, come see, come see. And sure enough, they start, they start knocking the dirt off and they see what's underneath. And the, so these monks all go to work. All the monks in the temple go to work cleaning it and getting this dirt and gunk off it. And then they see how beautiful it is underneath. And they restore it because their country is safe now. Their statue's safe. It's not going to get taken. So, why would I tell you that story? I'm telling you that story because that statue was never not gold. That, the nature of that statue was always gold underneath. It was just covered up. And you are too. You are too. Your nature is wisdom, compassion, and love. Your nature is bodhicitta. Your nature is enlightenment. But it's just covered up so you don't see it. It's covered up by emotional baggage, greed, hatred, delusion. All these things getting in our way are obscuring our true nature. But it's still our true nature that... uh our delusions are like clouds, and we are the sky. The sky's always there, whether it's cloudy or not, right? Sometimes it's really cloudy, sometimes it's a little bit cloudy, but the sky's always the same. So what we're doing is trying to see around our disturbances, trying to see around them, trying to get through them to the gold underneath. I love that story. So uh, I'm going to read to you a quote from another book. 
and this is called The Road Home, A Contemporary Exploration of the Buddhist Path by Ethan Nickturn. This is a book I like a lot. Very good uh, introductory, sort of an introductory Buddhist book. And so Ethan, Ethan Nickturn, um, he was a senior teacher in the Shambhala Buddhist tradition, but he broke away from the Shambhala tr Buddhist tradition when there were some scandals. Uh, but he's still a really renowned and respected teacher. And so this is what he says, and I quote, <clears throat> Every time we remember to live for a moment in the center of our awareness, especially during or after difficult emotional situations, we are connecting with the very basis of our awakened mind. Fundamentally, bodhicitta can gently witness and accommodate any experience that arises in the mind. It is an open and unshakable awareness. To borrow a phrase from Jacques Derrida and Heidegger, bodhicitta reminds us that we are always ready. Oh, I'm sorry. Always already okay. Bodhicitta reminds us that we are always already okay. In relationships, bodhicitta is what allows us to actively care for ourselves and nurture others. Bodhicitta is the ultimate validation of human experience, whether our current experience is pleasant or painful. So, I like that a lot. So, I hope I've convinced you that bodhicitta is important and a big deal. So, um, the non-Buddhist spiritual teacher Ramdas, uh, he has a really famous quote that I think makes me think of that I think of when I think of bodhicitta when I think about this stuff. He says, and I quote: "I would like my life to be a statement of love and compassion, and where it's not, that is where my work lies." I would like my life to be a statement of love and compassion where it's not. That is where my work lies. Uh, Ramdas was not a Buddhist, but he taught Vipassana meditation. So he's Buddhist adjacent for sure. Um, and I, I really like that message from him. I think it is endlessly inspiring. Here's another quote I really like, and it's not really related to this topic, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. Uh, Ramdas said, and I quote, If you think you're enlightened, go spend a week with your family. I like that a lot. If you think you're in line, go spend a week with your family. So, we have this at the center of our being. And it's something we're trying to tune into more so than something we're trying to achieve. You know, sometimes in Buddhism, we start to think that we're trying to level up or something. And that's not what we're doing. We're trying to get at what's already there. Basic goodness constant wakefulness. That is, that is our nature. Our nature is not, you are not broken. You are not broken. You are not useless. You are not a problem to be solved. You are loving awareness. You are bodhicitta. The thing that's in our way, though, is disturbing emotions. And I'm going to read to you what Kentra Lodrote says about disturbing emotions in The Power of Mind. He says, and I quote, <clears throat> All disturbing emotions are rooted in self-clinging. Our desires and attachments, our anger and aversion, our jealousy and pride all come from a belief in self. Of course we need to find happiness, but we should care think carefully about how we go about doing that. 
about what works and what doesn't. Seeing oneself as more important than others and thinking primarily of personal concerns definitely does not work. It has not worked in the past and it is not working in the present. In fact, it is an attitude that only causes more problems. The only way to achieve true happiness is by thinking of others, by developing an altruistic intention and benevolent mind, and by acting upon that basis. End quote. So that's maybe not 100% easy for us to think about. So helping others makes me happy, makes me happier than being selfish, right? That's counterintuitive. Uh, there are some some studies, some scientific studies that show that there's a kind of helper's high we can get when we help other people. And brain scans bear this out, that helping others makes us happy. Helping others makes us happy. And in Buddhism, uh, I want to suggest, and it's sometimes suggested, that we should cultivate what's called a boundless heart. Um, what does that mean? It means everyone. It means I have love and compassion for everyone. And that's, that's what rel- relative bodhicitta is. So there's two forms of bodhicitta, absolute and relative, and don't get it twisted. It really sounds like from those titles that absolute's easier and relative's harder, but uh, they're both pretty hard. But absolute bodhicitta is just... You know, Learning to see that the self is empty, so therefore I'm not selfish. Learning to see that all things are connected. And that's great. That is wisdom that is important and powerful and profound. Relative bodhicitta is that boundless heart I just told you about, what we call metta. It is loving all beings without exception. Caring about all beings without exception. And that doesn't sound easy, does it? But that's what we're called to do. Because sometimes, I like to say, sometimes it seems like we're all stuck in a burning building together. And we're arguing about the furniture instead of getting out. Because of the way we fight with each other. And the way we get consumed by trivial things and eaten up by nothing. Because that's what happens to us a lot of the time and it makes us really unhappy. And if you're thinking about yourself all the time, you won't be happy. Because no one on this planet has their every desire fulfilled. There's a whole lot more disappointment than fulfillment in this world when when our thoughts are directed at ourselves. So there are some practices that are used to cultivate bodhicitta. And those practices, um, in the Tibetan tradition, there's a practice called tong, tonglen. And that's giving and receiving is what that means. And it is um, it interrupts our self-clinging. In that practice, we, we imagine ourselves breathing in the suffering of others. And we imagine our body sort of transforming it into a positive light and then sending it back out to others. And is this magic? No, I don't think so. Um, Someone asked the Dalai Lama once, hey, when I do Tonglen, am I literally 
Am I literally lessening the suffering of others with these positive thoughts? Does it really help them? And the Dalai Lama said, oh, it doesn't matter because it helps you. It helps you. And there's a Theravada meditation style, and um, I think it's in the Mahayana tradition as well, it called metta practice, metta practice. And that is where um, you picture, you. the goal is to widen your circle of concern. And to in order to widen your circle of concern, you imagine someone you really love in front of you and you mentally say to them, positive things. May you be well. May you be happy. May you be at ease. And then you imagine like someone you just like a little bit and you mentally recite that. May you be well. May you be happy. May you be at ease. And then you imagine like somebody who doesn't mean that much to you and you again mentally recite these words to them. May you be well. May you be happy. May you be at ease. And then finally, you imagine someone you really do not like. And again, may you be well, may you be happy, may you be at ease. And our goal in that is just to just widen our circle of concern so that we care about more and more people because we're supposed to have boundless hearts or bodhicitta. And that means no one gets left out. No one gets left out. So that is all for today. And I hope this talk has been helpful. Thank you for listening and have a good day.